Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into these keys. We have been at this now for a few months, and by this I mean an exploration into how to better intercede, uh, specifically when responding to that question, can you pray for me? So we have essentially uh, taken up this task so as to better understand how to better respond to that question in the light of 10 keys. Now, we started with 12, but after further discernment <laughs> and a closer look, I decided that really we are dealing with 10 keys, and so we are in the fourth key, which is praying from the heart. Now, as we were wrapping up last week, I was reflecting into the narrative around the exchange between Isaiah and King Hezekiah, right? So really, without further ado, what I want to do, my friends, is just jump right back into this reflection as our time here is, is limited. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, we read that the prophet Isaiah told King Hezekiah he would die. And in response to this message, King Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and weeping bitterly prayed, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in faithfulness and a half heart, no, whole heart, and done what is good in thy sight. Before Isaiah could even leave the middle court, God sent him back to King Hezekiah with a second message, which was a response to the king's prayer. In this second message, God said, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. And so God answered Hezekiah's heartfelt, tear-filled prayer by, as we noted last week, adding 15 years to his life. In the end, as Isaiah reminds us, again, my friends, God wants more than just lip service, but a people who seek him with their whole heart, not a half heart, right? because when we ask someone to do something for us, we would never want them to go halfway, but all the way. Okay, so... When we respond to other people's requests, can you pray for me? And we say yes, we go all the way and actually pray for them. Okay, now, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus really, we could say, makes that aforementioned Isaiah passage, chapter 29, verse 13, his own, when he addresses the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in their disparate ways and, and wants to teach them on the importance of and really us, on the importance of how our outward acts and words need to be congruent with a devotion of the heart. What do we read in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, Jesus is saying what, my friends? Mean what you say and say what you mean. And again, pouring this into our intercessory prayer, in our intercessory prayer, in our response to the question, can you pray for me? If we say we are going to pray for someone, then we pray for that someone wholeheartedly. All right, so as we kind of muse over the deeper meaning of the heart in Revelation, 
we turn our attention to a phrase found in Scripture, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. That's the phrase we kind of touched upon last week, and here I want to engage it specifically within this context of, I believe, this call we have to be a mystic. And, and here, what I want to do is really argue for our call to be a mystic and then what that means for our intercessory prayer. And before I go any further, my friends, remember, when I say argue and what we mean by argument, is that meaning in its original sense, right? The word argument comes from the Latin argumentum, which means a logical argument, uh, evidence, ground, support, proof. This Latin argumentum is derived from the word arguere, which means make clear, make known, prove. Okay, do you hear that? No, there is no rhetoric of fear and some kind of emotional anger. No, Webster's Dictionary will have that, but that's not what I'm talking about here. What you hear in the argumentum, in the arguere, is essentially language of making a case for. I want to argue. I want to make a case for the importance of the way of the mystic. Whether you are Catholic or not, ultimately, my friends, we have this call, if you have been baptized, to be a mystic. Now, I suppose you might hear that word and, and think of such words as rapture and ecstasy and visionary and so on. And, and on one hand, rightfully so, the likes of you know, within the Catholic faith, St. Padre Pio and St. John Bosco and others are known for their mystical experiences of bilocation and like. But there is a broader sense of this word that applies universally. That sense of encountering the divine by way of contemplation in the sacramental life. And here, as we engage the heart... This is our time to, to really look at that word contemplation and what it means to better to be a better mediator. What is contemplation? Contemplative prayer is simply, my friends, in the words of St. Teresa of Avila, taking time to be alone with God, with Him who we know loves us. That intense gaze of faith that is fixed on Jesus alone. Uh, the word contemplation is derived from the Latin contemplatio, which translates as the act of looking at. I think I've talked about this before, right, in other contexts. You know, contemplation is, in the words of St. John Vianney, the I looking at him and him looking back at me. Hmm? Now, what's interesting about this word contemplation, especially when you define it as the act of looking at, is what is discovered in the root word templum. Templum best translates as sacred. So when you pull this definition together more holistically, we could say that contemplation is the act of looking at that which is most sacred. And of course here, I'm thinking of the most holy face of Jesus, the most holy face of God revealed in His Son. We could say that contemplation is the space where intimacy is shared between two friends. Indeed, the, the call of the mystic is a call to contemplation as we seek, my friends, to be better uh, intercessors on behalf of those who ask from us our prayer. All right, what about the sacramental life and its relationship to the way of the mystic as we argue for this case to be a mystic? Uh, the Catechism states spiritual progress tends towards 
ever more intimate union with Christ. This union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments, the holy mysteries, and in him, in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. So what's important for us to understand here, my friends, is that the mystical life is not some experience of God that makes us, quote-unquote, feel good, right? But an encounter with God himself, where God unites himself with us directly. Uh, Incidentally, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who we all know, was said to have mystical experiences of God in its stricter sense of experiencing visions of Christ. And of course, what's striking about this is she now famously wrote of great length about not feeling the presence of Jesus. Essentially, my friends, the sacraments are about receiving the very identity of God and the Holy Spirit. And once we abide in the sacramental life and encounter Christ, actually being brought into union with Christ, we what progress towards becoming the mystic that we are all called to be. Again, a mystic is one who has been called by God, one who both contemplates and shares in the holy mysteries of Christ. In this vein, we should remember some of the language of St. Paul, right? That the church is more than an assembly of believers, that the church is more than just a house of God, or even for that matter, the body of Christ. That the church is first before all of those, as Paul would remind us, the mystical body of Christ. Why? Because we are not baptized into something in the abstract, but into someone who is real and living, Christ and his mystical body. Therefore, by our very participation in Christ, we become what? Mystics. That being said, 36 saints have been declared doctors of the church. In other words, 36 men and women have been set apart for their sublime explication of the deposit of faith, of revelation, and the church's doctrine. What's interesting about this, my friends, is what you find in the last six declared doctors of the church. In 1971, Pope Paul VI declared the first woman doctors. St. Teresa of Avila and St. Catherine of Siena, clearly both mystics. In 1997, Pope John Paul II declared St. Therese of Lisieux a doctor of the church, this doctor of merciful love putting her little way of mysticism, we could say, on full display for the church to contemplate. In 2012, Pope Benedict XVI proclaimed Saints John of Avila and Hildegard of Bingen, doctors of the church, both mystics. Hmm? And lastly, what, four years ago, Pope Francis declared St. Gregory of Narek a doctor of the church in 2015, arguably another mystic for his added insight into the spiritual life through poetry, philosophy, and theology. What am I getting at here? You can claim that the last six doctors of the church as mystics, mystics in the broader contemplative and sacramental sense, since all six have contributed insight into the way of contemplation and sacramental union with the Holy Trinity. Brothers and sisters, this contemplative encounter is what enables us to be the praise of his glory, as St. Elizabeth of the Trinity would say, in all that we do and say. We are all called to this way of life. Now, as I argue for this, and I've, I've noted some of this in the past, this individual call to be a mystic should not surprise us. What do I mean? We are wired for God, and as such, wired for mystery. For example, if you're anything like 
my family, you enjoy the clever analyzing of clues to uncover mystery. You know, whether it is the latest masterpiece mystery theater or, or a simple crossword puzzle, there is something attractive to come to know what was once unknown. You follow? You see, at every turn, both on a personal and communal level, I would say mystery absolutely, quintessentially, unequivocally captivates us. We see this reflected in our Christ-haunted culture as one great 20th century author Flannery O'Connor would like to say. (laughs) So we see this reflected in our Christ-haunted culture that is fascinated by mystery. You know, in 2017, the budgets for both uh, NASA and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, were roughly $25 billion. Let me say that again. (laughs) The budgets for both NASA and NOAA were roughly 25 billion, not million, billion dollars. A lot of money to discover what lies beyond the stars and what rests at the bottom of our ocean floors. What's going on? Brothers and sisters, we love mystery. And we love mystery because we have been wired for God who is infinite mystery. I think rarely... Do we envision the call and the responsibility of becoming a mystic ourselves? And yet, as a response to the grace we have received at baptism, the church sounds the call, right? Dive deep into contemplation, dive deep into the holy mysteries, and become the mystic that you were called to be, that God has intended you to be. When our praying for others abides in the holy mysteries and way of of contemplatio, contemplation, it goes into that place to which, as the Bible would describe it, the place to which we withdraw the heart. Because the heart is the place of deep conversation with God. The heart is the room where lovers are most intimate. God desires that we converse with Him in this dwelling place because it is the place of spiritual communion and where praying for others becomes vibrant, praying for others becomes lively. I close out this fourth key of praying for the heart with a simple challenge. The call to pray for others is the call to be a mystic, as the call to pray for others is the call to go to the place to which we withdraw the heart. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.